Welcome to Second Wind with Joyce Buford, a program for and about women. Joyce Buford is a certified coach who has a passion for helping women who need a second wind. Joyce is the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, a program that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. As a certified coach, she studied directly with her mentor, Jack Canfield, author of the Chicken Soup book series, where she served as an assistant to his training program. Through her study with many prestigious coaches and mentors, she has created a powerful program that has positively impacted hundreds of people. On today's program, Joyce and her guest will help you learn how to get your second wind. Now here's our host, Joyce Buford. Good morning. It's a great day out there today. I don't know if you've been out, and I don't know in your, if you're in East Texas, but it is turning fall here, and it feels really good. So today we're going to visit with a very interesting man. Uh, he's very active in an area that is my, uh, it's where I go when I'm going through transitions. And so for the listener that is the first time listening to us today, Second Wind is about just that, getting our second wind when we come to those parts in our lives that are transitions, changes, uh, they can be difficult, they can be just a little hiccup in life. But so many times we get stuck when we have to go through changing our thought process, processes or changing our way of, of creating our lives. So I go... What is the tool that you use when you go through transitions for the comfort that you need during those times? For me, it's always been music. I love music. And so even in the day, in my daily routine, I am always having music play in my house, in my car, wherever I am. That is my, uh, I use music in different ways. In the car, I use it to calm me down because I'm a little aggressive when I drive and I've got the speeding tickets to prove it. But, so how do you use music otherwise? You can use it as a, as a, uh, I'm trying to think. It's more or less a, a catalyst to help you learn better, to focus better. They're finding with so much research the benefits of using music in various ways. And so I really wanted to have our guests come on and talk to us today because of all of the ways that we can use music. So does music really matter? Well, it really matters to me, and I want to help enlighten you with that. So before we go on, get your favorite place, get your cup of coffee, your java, I hope you've already done that, or your tea, and let's sit back, and I'm going to tell you about our guest today. Richard Lee from Toronto, Canada. 
Richard is the conductor of the East Texas Symphony. He has been in Texas about three years. And his history sort of goes like this. At the age of three, his mother sat him down at a toy piano. So you could pretty well say Richard has spent his life with music. At the age of five, he he expanded into the violin. No, at the age of five, he went to his real piano, grown-up piano. And then at age seven, he went to the violin. He studied at the Royal Conservatory of Music in Toronto. Then, I don't understand this, but he kind of went toward physics for a while. So we'll have to talk about that, Richard. (laughs) And then he came back to music. And he has studied the violin and the viol. Now, I like this part because also... Another passion of mine is teaching. And Richard taught for five years to middle school, which, as we all know, that's a challenging area to teach. So my hat's off to you there. Richard has studied with some of the really great um, educators and mentors in his career development And when he joined us in 19, I'm thinking it was 2011, Richard, is that right? That sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. Well, the East Texas Symphony was going through a transition, and we did an extensive search of of eight or ten candidates that came in and performed during our search process. Then we brought them back, and Richard was the the overall favorite of all of those visiting conductors that came in through our search process. One of the things I also like about doing this radio show is that I get to know my guests a little uh, extra special, and I know that that Richard likes cigars, barbecue, which Texas has plenty of good barbecue. Oh, yeah. And we even have a hot yoga here, so I don't know if you've used that or not, Richard, but I welcome you today to our program. Thank you, Joyce. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's it's great to have you here, because I have all sorts of questions, but I'm so interested at three, and you you that's, that's a life of music. <clears throat> yeah, it sure is. I mean, you know, it was my mom, and... Yes. Uh, she didn't believe in wasting time, and to a large degree, she's right. You know, you. I think we often underestimate what really, really young children can absorb and learn. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. really felt that, you know, just because I was barely able to walk didn't mean I could not <laughs> learn things. So I learned the note names. I learned where middle C was. I learned, you know, a basic scale. And it wasn't just... You have to understand, it wasn't just I got the bash away on a piano. She sort of structured mini lessons. Oh, really? Was yes. she? Oh, yeah. No wasting time, you know, because <laughs> music is a pretty serious thing, and it takes a long time to master, and the earlier you start, the better of a chance you, you have, really. Yeah. Um, and at that point, you know, it's still, these sort of things, are these challenges are kind of like games, right? I, it was, right. I didn't have any problems with it. I thought it was fun. 
Right. You know? Well, now, was your mother a musician as well? <clears throat> amateur. Uh, I would say mm-hmm. a very poor amateur musician. No fault of her own, but she grew right. up, uh, you know, in a Korea at the time was a very poor country, not like it is today. Um, mm-hmm. And it was uh, when she was a child that was uh, wartime. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as if her family had readily ready access to, you know, piano lessons or anything right. like that. It was impossible. Yeah. Right. So she did know how to play a little bit, um, and she certainly in entire life has been interested in music. She's a church choir, you know, singer mm-hmm. her whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing, uh, nothing really formal. Right. Yeah. Well, she's uh, probably vicariously living through you, as most parents do. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. I'm so interested. Where did you take the turn toward physics? Well, that was parental guidance again. Oh, it was? Uh, they really, yes. As much as they loved m- music and uh-huh. forced me, in many respects, to sort of take music lessons, even though I didn't want to after a while. Right. Um, uh, They didn't believe it was an appropriate career choice. Ah, no future in music. Yeah, it wasn't an MD, it wasn't a, Mm -hmm. you know, you wasn't an engineer, wasn't, there was a a relatively short list of professions that they viewed as being important and well-paying enough to consider for their firstborn child and that music wasn't one of them yeah that's so so common with parents uh guiding their children toward jobs that they think are appropriate and and i really want to say good for you that you went back to what really spoke to you well i gave the world and i hated it and i well furthermore (laughs) did really poorly yeah uh, after a while you know Uh uh-huh um, it's not that I wasn't a smart guy, but it was certainly, a, there was probably more than a little lack of motivation. Right. Um, yeah. well, you know, when we find what is our genius, uh, let me use my term here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when we really shine. That's when we really step out. That's when we really enjoy what we're doing because we achieve in it. Right. And so I yeah, I love that you got back into music. Because you bring you bring um I really love to watch you on the podium because you bring so much fun mm-hmm. to the podium. It's it's uh it's really a joy to watch you uh well, conduct. And and you just uh, you're so relaxed, and so you your audience even relaxes. Right, well, that's important to me. You know, yeah. it's not listening to music should be. You know, it should be. I, I don't know if fun is the right word, but it should be easily to easy to enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need someone looking tense and nervous up there that will start to preoccupy you. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. it's very, very important, I think, to just to make sure that you go up there and say, well, we're just playing music. And, you know, I just mm-hmm. want you to listen. And it's not, you know, complicated, really. Mm-hmm. You, you listen to it, you like it, or not, maybe, but hopefully you do. And it makes you feel a certain way or think certain things. And, <clears throat> you know, and like you were alluding to in your intro, it might sort of relax you or make you sort of focus on a certain aspect of your life that you hadn't thought of before. And these are all great things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't need to really have any sort of 
real effort or focus or skill to do that. You just need to kind of, you know, listen and sort of let it take you where it wants to go, you know. Yeah, particularly in this day and time when we see so many of our symphony orchestras struggling for attendance. Yeah. Uh, our yeah. audience seem to be getting smaller. I think it's it's even more important that we connect with our new listeners and take away some of the, um, hmm, what do I want to call it, uh, stuffiness mm-hmm. of of symphonic music, right? And and have them enjoy it, as you say. Yeah, uh, enjoy I'm, it. I'm with you. Oh, we're into break. We'll be back, Richard. Short break. Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smarts, strategies, and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. Show me the money! Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Welcome back to this segment of Second Wind. Joyce Buford, the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, continues in this segment to share insight that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. Welcome. We are talking with Richard Lee, East Texas Symphony Orchestra music director and conductor. And the topic that we're talking about really is how important is music to you? What's the benefits of music in your life? Um, and what I'd like to talk about in this section is I'd really like to talk about some of those questions I've always wanted to know, mm. just how they put a symphony together, uh, how they put a season together. I, I think that's, uh, fascinating. We are a small symphony of approximately 67 members. Is that correct, Richard? That's, that's correct. I mean, it fluctuates a little bit, but that's the average figure. Sure. Yeah. And so Richard also, uh, he is not a live-in Tyler, a permanent, he's our permanent conductor, but he also conducts another orchestra as well. And so anyway, um, that's kind of the setup of our symphony here in East Texas. If you're in a city, a major city, you have a 
full-time solo. I don't know. What are those called? Or how do they make the distinction, Richard? Between, I'm sorry, between uh, a bigger a symphony and bigger orchestra. Well, yeah, I mean, a bigger symphony, this might be a little bit boring from a business standpoint. You know, a larger symphony, everyone is on salary. Okay. Um, so they are, they get paid, say, I'm making up a figure. But in Dallas, mm-hmm. it's probably something like eighty or $90,000 a year. Right. And, uh, you know, there's things in their contract that stipulate how, how many concerts they can do per season, how many weeks, and it might be 36 or 38, uh, with vacation time, you know, defined, and they have to, they do the season. But here, Are you it, talking small... about the, the players or the conductor? Uh, both. Both? Okay. Both. Okay. Both. Now, here, I'm the only one on salary. Yeah. It's kind of a strange situation. I'm sort of, I do get a sort of a monthly uh, little amount of money that magically appears in my bank account, which I love. I look forward yes. to that day. Mm-hmm. But uh, the musicians are all paid. It's, it's a per-service orchestra. So every time they come to rehearsal a concert and, 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 and uh, perform, they mm-hmm. get paid a set amount. Yes. So it's, right. it's, uh, it's how hard they work, you know, in, on individual days and concert weeks. depends on how, you know, that, that directly affects their their income. So you have a, a group that of players that are available in the mm-hmm. East Texas area. Yes. And East Texas area, I mean, for us, that stretches really far. We have some musicians coming from Shreveport sometimes. Mm-hmm. We have musicians coming from certainly anywhere in the DFW sort of vague area, mm-hmm. Arlington, etc. So um, it, it's quite an expansive um, area that we draw our musicians from. And so it has to be that way. You know, Tyler's not big enough to have 66 professional musicians who play all the instruments that we need. Right. You know, it's, uh, yeah. So we're talking about that for the audience that's far away, that's listening from the other side of the world, uh, about a hundred miles radius right. of our town, Tyler, that seems Texas. About, that seems about maybe, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. people certainly drive a couple hours, some of them, to get here. Right. Yeah. But I've seen some of those faces for years. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, being that I include myself in this, you don't, generally speaking, I guess there are some class musicians who are phenomenal, phenomenally wealthy. Um, mm. But vast majority of, of us are are not. And you do this because... There's something that is very attractive about this profession, right? You know, it's, it's like you, my my career switch. We talked about this earlier too. I mean, you know, as a teacher, I would. <laughs> I remember when I first, when I quit teaching, I got my first job as a uh, conductor after school, going back mm-hmm. to school. Mm-hmm. Um, my income probably went down about to about a third of its previous level. Oh wow! A third. Oh. And, uh, but if you were to ask me, um, if I regretted it at all, I would say, no, absolutely not. This is mm-hmm. amazing. I can't believe I'm doing this. I felt lucky. I felt privileged. I felt blessed to be able to conduct an orchestra, professional orchestra, and, you know, look at these pieces of music, you know, Schubert, Beethoven, and be able to mm-hmm. learn them and study them and conduct them. It was, it was amazing. You know, and well, that's, I think I think by and large a lot of musicians feel that way too. You know, it's a career that is tough, and you certainly have to travel a lot and 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have very odd schedules, a lot mm-hmm. of weekend work, a lot of evening work. Mm-hmm. They're very changeable. Um, very intermittent in a lot of ways, but it's, you know, when you're working, it should be a lot of fun. Well, was the transition point in your life that you decided to go from teaching to back into, well, did you go back into school or did you go, you had to go to conducting? Essentially. I mean, have to, no, but, you know, unless I had some sort of credential, I don't think anyone would give me a serious look, you know what I mean? Right. So I went back to school to do a graduate degree in conducting. So was the, what was the impetus that made you want to move for, forward and make this change? Just that you were unhappy in teaching or you wanted more from life? or It was, was a it? little bit of both, but I would say it's mostly the, the former. I wasn't happy. Middle, you lived this too. Middle school is a very... It's a tough yes, age group to teach, period. Yes. And then there's uh-huh. all the other stuff. Yeah. You know, there's administration and the politics involved. And your yeah. fellow, I loved most of my colleagues. They're great. But some of them I just, I didn't understand at all and mm-hmm. couldn't get along with. And mm-hmm. parents were, they ran the gamut from incredibly supportive and uh, incredibly uh, diligent about, you know, raising their child in the way they thought would best benefit them to complete and utter absentee and, you know, permissive mm-hmm. to, you know, an incredibly yeah. inappropriate, I thought, degree, you know, and it was just right. in that sort of situation, it was the teaching part of it was fine. To me, yeah. teaching is the, one of the, it is an incredibly noble profession. I mm. took it very seriously. Um, mm-hmm. But everything else about it, the testing, the report cards, the parent-teacher interviews, it, you know, I hated it. Right. I yeah. kind of despised it. Um, so it became pretty apparent to me that if I had spent the next, you know, 40 years of my life doing this, I would probably, um, you know, die young. I mean, I, I really <laughs> was that serious. I just, I, it, was, it would make me incredibly unhappy. Mm-hmm. So I really needed to rethink what I wanted to do with, for the rest of my life. And that was the... Uh, Again, you know, this whole fear and, of it not being practical and not being enough to, you know, subsist on was yeah. really drilled in me by my my parents. But, you know, I guess I'm managing, so it's working out. And, Richard, you made that change sort of late in your life for oh, yeah. going into a totally new uh, career field. Pretty late. Right? I was 30 when I went back to school, when I well, went back to college to university right. to do my degree and I started as a professional conductor when I was 32 when I graduated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, the whole point there in bringing that up is that it's no matter where you are in your life, no matter how many years you are, mm-hmm. you are entitled to find your fulfillment and whatever it is. And I think it takes great courage to say, no, I'm going to do this for less bucks I'm going to go do what makes me happy, right. what fulfills me, you know. Yeah. And so even when I made my transition, getting back into coaching and going into a career, it was more about life fulfillment. I love teaching. Mm-hmm. I I love it. And I love speaking. But it's all about, there's you know, there's always a trade-off. There's a little more work. There's a little more commitment. But the rewards are so, 
so enjoyable. Well, <laughs> I mean, so juicy. Let's say it's true. And the rewards yeah. for 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 me was actually working. You know, the the point is that when I graduated, it, it was not fun. You know, my mom, bless her heart. You know, I'm I'm 32. Mm-hmm. And she's still nagging me about, why aren't you working? Have you found a job yet? You know, what are you doing? <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've got my degree. I'm applying to jobs. And, yeah. you know, the months are passing. And then no one's saying, oh, you know, offer me a shot like they did here in East Texas. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, so I kind of said to myself that, uh, you know, I'd give myself about a year. And if mm-hmm. that didn't happen, I'd reapply to the school board and go back to work. Uh-huh. You know, and, in the meantime, and not necessarily forever, but at least to do something while, you know, I was supply teaching while I was looking for work too. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that poor, but it was, right. um, that was the scary part. It was like, well, well, what I've done all this stuff. What if I don't get a job? Well, you know, read what your first I... job after your, after your graduation? Pardon me? Were we your first? We weren't your no, first job. No, my first job was in Thunder Bay. It was an assistant conductor job in a yeah. relatively small city, about the same size as this place, uh, Bill mm-hmm. Tyler, mm-hmm. Uh, just about 105,000, 110,000 in northern Ontario. Cold, ah. desolate, mm-hmm. lots mm-hmm. of moose. Uh, if you can imagine <laughs> that. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. But it was a great, great first job. I mean, it was a wonderful little orchestra, uh, yeah. beautiful hall. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot, but you know that job was it was a process. You know, mm-hmm. I graduated, and then they they were the well. No, I had some other job interviews too that didn't go so well. I didn't get the job, and then this is the one worked out, and uh, I was relieved. Yeah, you know, it was uh, pleased, but mostly it's like yes. I mean, this is some sort of. Uh, uh, justification for spending all this money and time going back to school and learning this and I've got a real shot at making this work and that's uh, well part of the challenge when you you go back and certainly with the symphony orchestra it's not only developing the orchestra but there's also the challenge of of developing the audience yeah oh that's all part of my thought process oh yeah because I mean you know for example here in East Texas I'm getting more and more attuned to what people like and what people don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, the sort mm-hmm. of styles of music, the composers, the instruments. Um, and I think part of my job is certainly to, you know, I'm going to be theoretical. So let's just say I come to a town like here in Tyler and I quickly discover that they love piano players but don't like violin players. Mm-hmm. Which is possible, and it's kind of a little bit like that. I mean, I think, for example, in Tyler, I think the piano is a a very, very popular instrument. People love watching people play incredibly hard piano concertos. Yes, Um, we've seen it. Yes, and that's great, me too. Mm -hmm. But it would be irresponsible of me to just have, you know, uniquely piano players season in, season out. Yeah. You know, and to avoid violin players entirely because... There seem to be fewer people who enjoy the violin. Right. Part of my job is to say, well, wait a minute. You know, it's great that you like the piano, but what if, what if I'm going to present this piece of the violin and yeah. give it a shot and okay. sort of transition them to an area that they didn't really Richard, think about? We're before. going to break. Yeah. And we're going to finish this when we come back mm-hmm. because it's so interesting. We'll, be, we'll take this short break and be back with Richard Lee. Joyce Buford returns after this short break. 
In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Jirasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Doginet.com. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can, with Lessons in Joyful Living, with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi, Mondays at noon central. Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches Lessons in Joyful Living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Welcome back to this segment of Second Wind. Joyce Buford, the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, continues in this segment to share insight that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. We are talking today with Richard Lee, the music director and conductor of the East Texas Symphony Orchestra, and he has been with us in Tyler, Texas, for about three years. And he comes all the way from Toronto, Canada, to conduct this symphony. And Richard was sharing with us prior to break uh, that we are in East Texas, or this particular audience, which is also part of the conductor's responsibility of developing the audience, um, we are prone to more pianists than we may be to a violinist solo. So, so this Saturday night, it so seems that we do have uh, a pianist. And Richard, you were talking about uh, how really what a magnificent. Um, performer he is. He is. It's. It's. I mean, I would even go beyond that. He's a very special talent. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's. It's an odd being a musician of that stature. You know, running around the world and or the country or the continent, performing with different orchestras, playing the piano with different orchestras. You know, he was. I think he's coming from somewhere in South Carolina or something last ah. week, and he's coming to us, and he's probably going somewhere crazy next San Francisco who knows but it's just a very itinerant lifestyle mm-hmm. but that is uh, that's a real that's probably even harder than what I do mm. you know yeah because there are a gazillion pianists in the states and Canada and Europe you know 
and a fantastic number of piano players. Uh, and to be able to be that good to perform, you need to have boost. And his boost, I think, was a Van Clarben. He won the Van Clarben piano competition uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, as soon as you win a competition like that, uh, at least uh, initially, you get a huge career boost. You know, people are interested in having you play with their orchestra. Uh, certainly, the Van Clyburn administration helped your career too. If you're the winner, to uh, you know promote and to do contractual yes. um, negotiations with various orchestras, and he, he's the last winner. And this gentleman, Mr. Kolodenko's, you know, I, I think I've said this to you earlier personally, but you know, you win the Van Clyburn, you can't be a bad town player. You're a good town player. Period. <laughs> but this guy is more than good. He is. Fantastic! I mean, oh, my wow. jaw dropped when I when I heard this guy play, um, uh, and uh, that's saying something because you know I've won, wouldn't even the, count. Okay. But I've heard a lot in my life, and he's good. All right, now his name is <clears throat> Vadim Kolostinko. That's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> that's about right. And he is his uh, homeland is Russia. I think he's Ukrainian. Well, I know he's Ukrainian. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. So, uh, we're, how were we so lucky to get him? Is it because of your um, background or? I, I think it's a combination of things. Uh, it's um, more like we called him up really soon after he mm-hmm. won the competition. Ah. And we said, uh-huh. we want you for this date or for this date. And I think because we were more at the front of the queue, to be honest. Yes. And we managed to snag him and reserve a date that worked for him and for us before Wonderful. the slew of other orchestras came along. And, you know, I guess, you know, the Van Clyburn takes place in Fort Worth. You know, right. it's not, and that's, I think, where he lives now. Um, really? Yes. He's moved there since. Uh, huh. So, you know, we had a representation at the hall. Uh, you know, at the, I think it's Bass Hall, right, in Fort Worth, and during the yes. competition, and people talked to him, met him over the course of the competition, and I think we were able to develop a relationship with him mm-hmm. much sooner than, say, someone based in New York. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, right. a little bit further. Um, but people will come, uh, are there like, um, what do I want to call them? Are there conductors or... Who would go watch a Van Clyburn so that they might uh, snag the winner right. for their there, concert there, season? I think anyone within Texas would probably go. Like a lot of yeah. orchestras would send someone, um, uh-huh. as we did, to the competition mm-hmm. to various levels, especially the finals, right, when you get to the end. Yes, yeah. Um, I, I would suspect that some of the major orchestras would send someone. Yes. Um, but beyond that, I mean, it's just kind of, a little bit far. Yeah. You know, my old orchestras in Winnipeg, I'm absolutely sure that they didn't send anyone to go to the Van Clyburn, not because, you know, it, it, it in no disrespect intended, but, you know, it's, it's pretty Just, far and long mm-hmm. and expensive mm-hmm. to get to Tyler from a place like that. Um, so they sort of tend to do their scouting more close to home. Yes. So they'll go to Toronto or they'll go to Montreal and check out competitions there. And there are, you know, there are competitions everywhere. The Van Clyburn just happens to be one of the preeminent ones for the piano. So the oh, level tends to be pretty good. competitions for other instruments. Oh, yes. There are competitions for conductors, even. You know, ah. It's, it's, okay. 
to me, it's it doesn't make sense. I mean, music is by and large um, a collaborative process, not a competitive process. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the reality of the business is, I mean, you know, if you wanna, if you're Vadim Kaldenko and you want orchestras to hire you to play the concerto with sure. them, rather than pianist B from somewhere else or pianist mm-hmm. C from somewhere else, mm-hmm. then you've got to have something in your resume that says I'm. <laughs> this, this is gross. I'm special. And, but yeah, I'm better than everyone else. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Ben Clyburn yeah. said so. Well, maybe not the man himself, unfortunately. But yeah, you know, he. Uh, he won that competition. That that's incredible. Yeah, that's yes. And 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 the people that he played for, played concerts for. It, it's quite impressive. I was reading a little mm-hmm. article about the band Clyburn, mm-hmm. and uh, it's quite impressive who, uh, who, what that winning that contest, oh, what doors it opened for it, him. It, it really does. Yeah. For anyone, I mean, <clears throat> you know, the participants in the competition, they don't do it because it's fun. It's one of the most gr- grueling experiences ever. Mm. Uh, nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can imagine. Can imagine. Um, yeah. They do it for the potential reward in terms of a career boost, you know, yes. and that's, that's, the, that's if, if it works out for them, it's, it's worth the sacrifice because a career boost is, is, is substantial. Right. Um, but uh, I think the process itself is, you know, it's the reality of the situation, I suppose. Right. But, well, I find uh, this, you know, I find this, uh, it's not only in the music world, it's mm-hmm. also in the speaker world. It's in so many of the things that we do where we still need to step up and do that competitive uh, 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 ordeal. To be recognized as mm-hmm. an exceptional person in that field, right, and that opens doors, and it can either make or break a career. Many times, in it their uh, ability to to step up and be uncomfortable and go through the processes of competitions. Yeah, and, and there is certainly a great deal of personal development when you prepare for that. I mean, you know, yeah. we're, we're talking about probably you know a year in advance. Mm-hmm. Participants start looking at the repertoire and practicing and preparing for a competition like that. Right. Um, so there's a, certainly a lot of personal payoff. You can't go through the process of, of doing this and not be a better player as a result. You know, right. it's not all bad, but there is something very. You know, I certainly I know it's the reality, but I, I certainly try and avoid as much as possible in my personal life. Um, Comparing myself to other conductors, for example, I think it's a right. very dangerous thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think it, it can only end in tears because you'll invariably <laughs> find people who are better or more successful or more wealthy or more well known. You know, it's just it's a trap. You have to find <laughs> some sort of way to be satisfied and content with your own capacity uh, and work ethic and you know current situation. And I am. You know, the way yeah. I look at it is, you know, people ask us all the time, you know, what are your future plans for your career? It's like, I don't know. I just want to make music. I want to work with orchestras, the best orchestras I can. Uh-huh. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, Beethoven Ninth Symphony here is exactly the same as the Beethoven Ninth Symphony in New York City. Right. Or Dallas. Yes. It's right. the same music. Yes, it is. Why would yeah. you be any less pleased about doing it in a place like Tyler as opposed to New York City? I'm not. To right. me, the honor is to be able to perform that piece. 
in front of people, like in front of people who are listening and appreciative. Mm-hmm. Um, the well, rest you know, of it don't, are, is secondary, you know. Yeah, I really think we're all on our own journey, whatever that is, however fast it is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I must agree. I will always agree that you need to have a goal for your development, for where you want to go. Yeah. But in the meantime, it's all about your journey, and it's all about developing your skill and enjoying every minute of it as part of the process. I think the goal's there, but um, it can't, at least in my business, I don't think it can be the fundamental. You can't be looking three years ahead and not thinking about what you're doing right now. Right. I mean, like I said, right. right now you're conducting a symphony orchestra in Tyler, Texas, and you're right. conducting the works of Beethoven, you know, or Brahms. That's mm-hmm. important, and that's incredibly, uh, it's an honor. It really is. I mean, mm-hmm. there's and no other, you know, when you go in the art gallery, and I love going to art galleries, you know, as a non-artist, as a non-visual artist, there's nothing participatory about that. You know, mm-hmm. I get to look at it. I get to mm-hmm. enjoy it. I get to think about it. I get to maybe even have an emotional attachment to certain works of art that I see hanging on the wall. Yes. But I don't get to participate the way I do here. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, here I get a piece of music by Beethoven that was written, you know, 250 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get to not create it, because he created it, but I get to realize it. I get to, the orchestra and I get to bring it to life. Right. We're an important part of the process. You know, we can't just hand out sheet music to the audience members and say, hum along to yourselves and try and imagine <laughs> how this goes and yeah. give us $50. We actually have to do that job, right? We have right. to play the notes on the page in a way that I think is convincing and, and does justice to the, to the intentions of the composer. And that's a lot of responsibility and it's a lot of fun, too. Right. And well, there's not much flexibility in that you can change because of the, the presentation. Yeah. Is, right? Well, not... it depends on how you think about these sorts of things. <laughs> All right. <laughs> when we come back, Richard, we're going to be talking about how you put a symphony season together mm-hmm. and how you put... We might break that down to one evening of music. I think sure. that's fascinating because there's a lot out there to pick from. Mm-hmm. And it's all so beautiful and so important. So we will be back with Richard Lee to talk more about music, how important it is to us. Transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author, Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Are you fascinated by the stories behind the stories, the people behind their masks, the truth about people's failures and redemptions in both their business and personal lives? Then Off the Record Secrets of with host Judy Schreiner is for you. It's people's secrets that make them interesting, but very few folks are willing to reveal them unless they trust that their information will be treated with accuracy, fairness, and respect. People have been entrusting their secrets to longtime business journalist Judy Schreiner for the last 25 years, and now she's bringing her expertise and impressive contact list. Tune in and call in as host Judy Schreiner talks to guests off the record as they reveal new secrets each Tuesday at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. Have you heard? 
The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff. And find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to this segment of Second Wind. Joyce Buford, the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, continues in this segment to share insight that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. We have been having so much fun talking with Richard Lee, conductor of East Texas Symphony Orchestra. Um, as you know, music is a passion of mine and passion of Richard Lee's. And so it's been fun to visit with him, but I've always kind of been curious as to how do you put a symphony together, yeah. a performance, a whole season. Now, we have a season of six concerts or five concerts, I believe. Right, five. So yeah. how do you do that, Richard? Um. I don't know. It's it's a tough question to answer in a way. First of all, it's a team effort. You know, I think I'm I'm the one with the the responsibility ultimately at the end. Mm-hmm. But we certainly have a lot of advice. Uh, I receive a lot of advice. Some of it unsolicited. <laughs> you know, agents are always sending me stuff, CDs and resumes and all that sort of thing. This guy's fantastic. He just played in, you know, Fort Worth with Fort oh, Worth Company. Yeah. Should give him a shot. And yeah. cold calls even, you know, that sort of thing, emails and mailing lists. Uh, but so the process, just you're always bombarded with ideas and thoughts and concepts from other people. And then you sort of, but to me, the underlying thing is is just to provide some sort of balance. We were talking about this earlier, you know? Mm-hmm. You can't right. have five pianists in a season if you have a five concert season. Right. Even though, you know, this the place might love piano players, it's just not responsible. You can't do that. Right. Um, there's got to be a balance of everything. So one of the things I do is I come up with a spreadsheet and I, you know, the spreadsheet has everything. You know, when right. the music was made, written, oh. because you don't want music that was all written, say, you know, between yes. 1900 and 1920. Yes. You want a variety of music, too, so the season will say where it was written, if the composer was German or French or American or whatever, because you don't want a season that is just all the same kind of music, say Italian music or something. You know, you oh. want a balance of everything. Yeah. You want a balance of instruments. You want a balance of... Um, uh, it's important to think about what the audience wants, Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but it's mm-hmm. important to think about what the audience might like or might be challenged by. Mm-hmm. And every season I try and make sure I include pieces that definitely are going to be a new experience to most people. Yes. Because I think that's important too. You know, you can't just go and, well, in music, I think anyway, you can't just go and have the expected happen. There has to be an occasional little unexpected surprise. Mm hmm. 
Um, yeah. And that's part of developing an audience. You know, you got to introduce new things to them and let them decide whether or not they like it or not slowly, you know, and change people's minds, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, how do you feel about the audience? And I've been in so many because I've yeah. been in usually small orchestras, yeah. uh, performances, but about the person that it's maybe their first, second, they're very young to uh, symphonic music, and they come to one of the breaks in the music, and they start clapping. <laughs> and there's always this kind of, oops, I'm not supposed to clap yeah. here. <laughs> it's a strange, you know, you can't have, uh, uh, you know, classic music is pretty old. Yeah. Most people probably define real classic music starting in the 1600s or so. Ah. Right? Uh-huh. And we play music from the 1600s from the time. You can imagine that. And you can't mm-hmm. go through sort of a process for music that old without conventions taking hold. Mm-hmm. That's why we dress yeah. the way we do. Yeah. That's why people clap when they do. These sort of conventions have over time um, become part of the norm of going to concerts. If you're new to that, then you won't know this. But, I mean, yeah. everyone does that. Mm-hmm. I was a novice concert goer. You were a novice concert goer at one point yeah. in your life. I clapped you know, in the wrong I, place. I probably yeah. did too. I don't remember. <laughs> but we, you learn. And this is, I think, you know, the analogy is life. I mean, when you're a kid, you make all sorts of mistakes. In an adult too. Uh-huh. And, but hopefully you, you realize, oh, I'm not supposed to clap there. Yeah. And but over I time, look you at it. Even if you are the novice and you start and you clap in appropriate at the wrong place. It's not a big deal. I don't think it's It's a big deal. It's not. All it's doing is showing you how much they enjoyed the music. Absolutely. And I I don't mind that. I mean, offended at that. (laughs) If it's, yeah, if it's during a break, then heck, I mean, you know, technically speaking, the conventions may not be the, you know, you're not supposed to clap there. But if you do, that's, again, I love it. It's, it's fine. Um, But I I think one thing is, start trying to educate audiences more so that you should at least know that you're not supposed to clap there. That's mm-hmm. what I think. Yeah. Um, and if you choose to clap, then by all means, that's wonderful. And I'll accept it and I'll be grateful. But in mm-hmm. the back of your head, you should know, you know, I'm not so you should have this conversation with yourself. I'm not supposed to clap here. I know that, but I, Darn it, I think this is so great, and I'm loving it so much <laughs> that I'm going to clap anyway. And I would completely accept that. Yeah. Um, right. uh, but because, I mean, you know, if you go to <laughs> – I've been to concerts many places, mm-hmm. and I would say, you know, I'm pretty tolerable with that sort of thing, and you're pretty tolerable with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you go to New York, even worse, Vienna or Berlin, <laughs> you are going to feel very small <laughs> if you do that at a concert hall. I can assure you. Yeah. Right. Um, conductors will turn to you and scold you no. from the stage. Oh, absolutely. It's happened. <laughs> oh. It has happened. Or soloists, pianists will turn to, to scold you. Uh, oh, um, my goodness. So in some places, the conventions are, if they're not respected, you are, um, people aren't as nice as the Aaron Tyler right. about it. Yeah. Right, so I think that's another reason why you should kind of know what the conventions are so that you can choose whether to observe them or not. Right. That's, that's my policy. And I think it's even about booing. I have no problem with people boo. I really boo? don't. Boo? Yeah. I've never heard anybody boo. I, I've booed. Not You booed? I've booed at a concert, one concert <laughs> in my entire life. I wasn't the only one. It was awful. Oh you spend 100 goodness. bucks and you get something that is substandard in many respects, then I, I think you have the right 
to express your displeasure. And wow. that's fine too. Was that um, in Europe or was that in the in the States or where? In Toronto. In Toronto, really? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, I think in some contexts it's even more common. In opera, I think it's it's uh, very, uh, the rules are a little bit looser. Oh, um, okay. Um, and booing is a little bit more common. And it was an opera that I saw. But still, it's, um, you're allowed to, I think you're allowed, my philosophy is you're allowed to do whatever you want. Yes. Clapping, not clapping, booing, not booing. But you should at least know what the norms are. Yeah. And then that way, you know that, in fact, uh, you know, if you're, for example, clapping in the middle of a piece, which is great, you're making a kind of a political statement. You're saying, even though I'm not supposed to clap here, I'm going to because I think this piece is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean? So, yeah. But, right. Uh, and that's a powerful statement. It really, really is. Uh, yeah. And performers appreciate it, for right. sure. Well, I'm doing something this weekend. You sure are. <laughs> it's kind of special for me. At the Symphony Ball, which is, of course, focused at fundraising, because, you know, symphonies take money to run. And so as one of the fundraising ben- uh Efforts is a ball that we do every year. I don't know what they do in all cities, but a lot of Texas do this. Mm-hmm. So one of the items that was on the side an auction is to conduct the Star Spangled Banner at the first concert. Now, I had a little voice in me that said, I want to do that. And I walked by and then I came back and then I I did. I wrote my name down. <laughs> and I did. I ended up buying that as a uh, way of supporting the symphony and also of a way of uh, getting me outside my comfort zone because it's something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So Richard has given me one lesson in conducting, or we had a, a half of one yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so I will get that honor this Saturday night in front of the East Texas Symphony Orchestra. And yes, I will be nervous as, oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, I will be so nervous. Oh, you but, shouldn't be though. Well, You're good. You, you, you You're know, fine. it's. It's just when you get outside of your comfort zone, oh, you're going to feel that. a little of that. Absolutely. And, that's what life's about, I think, is getting outside your comfort zone and growing, because that's when you grow. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to it, Richard. It's going to be fun. I will be nervous. I will. <laughs> but uh, I'm looking forward to it. So thank I think you'll you enjoy the honor. experience. And thank you for bidding, and thank you for, you know, bidding for that item, too. I think it's a, you know, and you'll be one of the select few who can then say, you know, for the rest of your life, I've conducted symphony orchestra. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you should put that in your resume, in fact. Oh, but, I will. You know, it, it, it does take a lot of courage, but it's also a very unique experience. I oh, mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of like magic. It's, I don't want to romanticize too much what I do, but it's weird. You wave your arms around, which is kind of silly mm-hmm. looking if you really think mm-hmm. about it. You know, mm-hmm. step back and look at what people are doing. Uh, and out comes this sound. From this group of musicians on stage, and the sound is nice, and it's together, and it's unified, and you produce this recognizable piece of music, mm-hmm. and it's it really is weird, you know. It's sort of like I, I point or do this or do this little circle thing, the circles you've been practicing, you know. Yes. And things happen. And it's like yeah. whoa, 
<laughs> it's even now after you know 13 14 years of of doing this professionally it's it's still I'm amazed that flicks of fingers and wrists and produce such effects you know and it's you need a good orchestra of course to do this but it's right. there's something very magical about it I really do think I can I can just I'm really looking forward to the rush I know it's going to be yeah, I just think you'll memorable memorable yeah. for me I'll take that always and had that experience and, and in I my journey in my journey absolutely so. <laughs> i hope so i hope it's memorable i mean if you forget about it the next day i'll be extremely disappointed you know it's, it's designed to be it is a memorable thing though it really yeah. is joyce you'll enjoy it well richard we are coming to the close of our show and i have so enjoyed spending time talking to you uh, i as well um, it was fun yeah, thanks. I am uh, I am very pleased that you are conducting our orchestra and bringing us to new levels of education in our music and just expanding our world through music in the East Texas. So if you are in the East Texas part of East Texas area, I strongly encourage you to come to this performance because we will have the Van Cliburn winner. Uh, well, because Joyce year. Buford's conducting, first of all. Yes. Oh, and then yes. the Van Cliburn winner. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> and, of course, Richard Lee. So thank you, Richard, thank for you. being with us. Uh, I um, I <laughs> enjoyed every minute of it, and I, I don't envy you. I don't want to put a season together. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're, doing, you're better at that than I am. Well, so. it, it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a challenge, <laughs> I can tell you. Yeah. So thank you again. And to all my listeners, I hope that you've enjoyed this show as much as I have. And we'll see you next week. Joyce Buford returns next week at this same time for another edition of Second Wind. Through the Joyce Buford Empowerment System, women are receiving support during their transition and are able to reclaim their true purpose and strength. They receive the tools they need to map out new lives. You can find out more about her coaching services at 